Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness, help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's conversation is with someone that I have been following for quite a long time. His name is Dr. Lormir Mosley. Larmere is a clinical scientist investigating pain in humans. After posts at the University of Oxford, UK, University of Sydney, Larmere was appointed Professor of Clinical Neuroscience and Chair in Physiotherapy at the University of South Australia. He is also the author of a book that was influential on me about, probably about 10 or 12 years ago, I discovered it, called Explain Pain. And um, he is world-renowned, known as the guy when it comes to the neuroscience around pain. So what is it? Where does it come from? Um, So what is chronic pain? What are some of the more complex versions of pain, such as fibromyalgia and things of the sort? Uh, What is acute pain? What are some hacks we can leverage in order to have a more whole relationship with these sensations that we experience in our bodies and that is what this conversation is about i am immensely honored and grateful to get to share some time with alarmer i want to thank you guys for leaving us reviews on apple podcasts i'm going to read a review from just grabbing a random one here this comes from victoria yoga she says yep mm -hmm, this aaron guy knows what's up uh, thank you very much, Victoria. Thank you all so much for leaving reviews. You can just scroll down on your phone or wherever, press subscribe so you get episodes each week so you don't miss a beat. And uh, that's it. If you think we deserve a five-star review, we appreciate it. It's very kind. And uh, let's get to it with my guy, Dr. Laura Mir Mosley. Oh, how do you say your name? Laura Mer, Laura Mir, Laura Ma. Laura Ma. What if you're What if Perfect. you're American? You don't. You don't. You don't kind of go like the Lars. 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 All right, Lars. Lars. So if Lars I was if I was a stupid American, would I say Laura Laura Mer or Laura Mir? Because we don't we don't have m- the, m- in our in our in our speak. You'd say the first one. Laura Laura Mer. Laura Mer. Laura. Mer. <laughs> Okay. But why don't you say that once and then you can go straight to Loz. <laughs> Loz. That's fine. Right, cool. And then Mosley. Correct. Cool. All right. Um, well, sweet. Well, first of all, thank you so much for making time to do this. Um, I have been enamored it's a pleasure. by the concept of pain for a very long time. I still do not understand it. I don't think that you do either. Uh, I don't think that anyone really does. <laughs> And so I'd be curious to know your perception. How has your perception changed on pain when you first started this journey of professionally investigating to today? Well, really insightful question. Can I change the question? Is that bad form? No, Can that's great form. No, I, you know, no I, that's, my, <laughs> that's my preference, actually. If you could interview yourself, no, that would be my strong great. preference. Well, Lorimer, I've been <laughs> particularly impressed by you for a long time. So if, if I was to change the, the question a bit, uh, maybe maybe a, a longer time scale, because my journey started probably not professionally, started as a someone who was experiencing pain and, and the, the fact that I didn't understand why I was uh, really triggered this exploration of, so how, how does pain work? What, why does anyone get pain? What's the, what's the point of it? 
what's, what's the point of pain? And that, those questions might seem really, really straightforward questions, but I guess the thing that keeps changing for me is that that they simultaneously in this sort of weird mind mess, those questions become more and more intuitive and less and less simple to understand. Um, so I, I guess the way that it, that my understanding of pain has changed it, it is continue. I'm continually gobsmacked. Do you have that? Do you have that word? Yeah, gobsmacked. It's like yeah, that's American enough. Punches in the yeah, gob. Yeah, yeah. Uh, continually gobsmacked by how many, how much redundancy there is in the systems that produce pain that we have evolved to have over you know so many generations in in order to keep our body safe in order to protect us and I think that's the thing that strikes me more and more that pain is is all about the future you know it's all about manipulating your behavior in order this is my opinion right I'm not the truth sheriff uh, but it's all about manipulating your opinion in in order to keep the tissues of your body well Uh, and and that becomes even more complex once we embrace the idea that we are we are a unified organism you know our mind body spirit everything is a unified one we're we're not these separate entities so if if we embrace that reality then when we feel pain you know what the, the question why why am i feeling pain right now just becomes extraordinarily complex yeah i wonder uh, i wonder from your perspective you're obviously British, based off of your accent. Um, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't know. No. If, if, uh, <laughs> I don't know if my wife would be very happy about about that. Uh, my wife went to a posh school here in Australia, oh, okay, okay. and uh, she yeah, she quite likes the idea that she sounds a bit English. Oh, okay. uh, and that she married someone with a really thick working class Australian yeah. accent. So the fact that you've made that. High compliment, high compliment, yeah. Um, (laughs) I I wonder if we know more, I say that because I want to reference Aboriginals and just like ancestral wisdom around the meaning of pain and, you know, how long we've been dealing with these sensations in our bodies. And I, I wonder if in some ways we know less about pain today than we once did based off of kind of being sidetracked by a kind of more, almost more of like a two dimensional textbook model of the body right yeah yeah so i, I love the question um uh, it's custom here where i live to you know if, if i was running this show uh, i would definitely be starting the show with an acknowledgement of the land on which i sit so you've given me the opportunity to do that which i think is really an important part of of the changing nature of my my culture and that is that i'm sitting on ghana land mm. ghana people have been living here uh, for more years than than you and I can really comprehend, you know, in tens of thousands of years. They are the traditional owners, never ceded sovereignty, pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. The Aboriginal people of Australia have a, uh, a, a way of, uh, ways of knowing things that I don't. And I, and I imagine ancient cultures around the world First Nations people everywhere, but I guess ancient cultures that they have these ways of knowing that that I don't have, you know. I uh, and one of those ways I imagine is is linked with their their deeper connection with their land, their water, their their sea, 
and the unity. You know, I was talking about the the union. We're one unified organism. I imagine now. I'm I'm naive, right? Uh, but I imagine that you would extend that union with not just the organism, but your land and sea and waterways, and and you you become more one with a bigger entity, and therefore you're the machinery or the that's probably the wrong word but the, the the constituent parts that create knowing things becomes way bigger and way more complex so maybe that speaks to your question Aaron that the the depth and and breadth of understanding bodily feelings yeah has has almost been lost by the scientific method perhaps I don't, I don't, this is very speculative I don't know but you know the the biomedical model took over the world and has been uh, don't get me wrong has has been absolutely fantastic for human health but there are some casualties on the way and and maybe what you're alluding to is is the biomedical model drove us away from this unified organism idea it drove us towards a almost a, de- a detect and report model of the human so that whenever there was a report like i feel something then all of the medical attention would be at uh, at, at the place at which you feel it and that has done a massive disservice to to millions of people who have had pain that didn't resolve as quickly as one might have expected because all of this attention has been put on tissues where the problem of most persistent pain is no longer in the place that hurts. I mean, that, that might be a contributor, but the complexity of pain is, is such that the, the contributors to pain are throughout the organism and they're very idiosyncratic and individualised. So I, I, maybe that's the point that, that you're alluding to, that, that the biomedical model shifted us away from the, the depth and breadth towards really precise stimulus response models of of why and how we feel things which we are learning more and more back to your first question more and more is just so naive uh, but it's the best we we could do with the biomedical framework I don't, I don't want to come across as dissing the biomedical framework because i think it's done it's done us some great favors yeah you mentioned nor do i i think the biomedical kind of like western allopathic model of medicine is fantastic when you cut a limb off or something of the sort i wouldn't want to go see some <laughs> shamanistic voodoo doctor yeah. that's going to spit tobacco on my my wound or whatever during that time frame like i'm very grateful that we've that we've we're in a place where we have you know technology to to address these things but the deeper more kind of nebulous aspects of ourselves like an internal cells and you know venturing into a place of like mental emotional and you know even like dare i utter the word spiritual you know that's where it's kind of like whoa well we don't really have a, a placement for that so well because it's it's kind of a little more dispersed it's kind of ev- it's like this everywhereness and that's where it's the, the the models i think there's there's kind of a conflict in a way and you you mentioned previously just you, you mentioned the word machine and kind of the the, like the newtonian perhaps newtonian perspective of the human organism you know that we're like levers and pulleys and we're like this this machine ambulating across the land it's that perspective in my mind puts me into a place of like we're on top of the land we're on top of the nature kind of manipulating the nature and manipulating the land and i think for the the bulk of human history it was probably the inverse of that 
where we are kind of congruent with. And I, I just wonder, you venturing into like the, the, the biopsychosocial lens on, on pain, which I'd love for you to, to you know, explain you know, more what that is. Even the concept explain, actually, I think explain, the derivative of that is to flatten out. So even the concept of once we venture into the land of explanation, we're already putting it into that 2D textbook thing, which we're probably going to miss a bit in that translation. But yeah, I feel like there's something to learn from both sides. And I think predominantly most Western minds, they prefer the, the measurable, you know, manageable, quantifiable side. And we still have pain and we're still yeah. you know, harming ourselves and we're still obese and we're still anxious and we're still depressed and we're it's like hmm <laughs> <You know? laughs> i feel like there's a there's an opportunity for a marriage i guess is what i'm saying yeah that's uh, that's really interesting reflections i love that um i didn't know that that's what we're explained yeah like um, plane and yeah right yeah right make a make a plane yeah cool i didn't yeah i didn't realize that um so where does mansplain come from? Yeah, exactly. Like, when a man makes the plane. Are you a man? Are you a manscaper? You you, you maintain your uh, your situation. What's going you, on? You could you could answer that yourself. I don't, <laughs> I don't have to really spend spend much time on maintenance. Unfortunately, it's right. not, nothing much to keep on, well there. But back, um, back on track I do all my escaping on the inside. Good, good, um, good, good, good. Yeah. So yeah. so that that idea of. Uh, you know the the idea of being on on the land and how that contrasts with sort of being one with it uh, is a, is a really interesting one um and i think the the spirit of that contrast is is relevant to where the pain field is is going full full steam ahead now towards that marriage that you allude to i think trying to understand the you used a phrase i think uh, it's everywhere in us and I really like that, and it is very consistent with one avenue of pain science that's moving very quickly, and that, that is involving the immune system and the immune competency of a whole lot of structures and, and processes within our body. You know, you picked up on me using the word machine and, and machinery, and in, in one of the books that I've been involved with, you know, the front cover has these uh, three, it's a painting of, of three, three women. One is a machine uh, and, and one is a garden. And the, the garden person is in the middle. And um, I can't remember what the other one is, I probably should. But the, the point of that is to say we, we really need to acknowledge that there are aspects of the way that the human works that are machine-like. Um, but we don't experience the machinery. That's not that's a part of our experience you know we we have agency over it uh and it influences us but the garden is a better capture of of the way we work i think you know like for a for a whole garden to be working well you know the the tomatoes get fungus and the carrots on the other side of the the garden stop growing you know so the there's not these clear-cut wires and pulleys that are explaining all of this sort of stuff uh, so that metaphor is, I think it's a beautiful metaphor because we see those things happening in, in the clients that we, that we see. So I, I, I see people, usually people who are challenged by a very long history of pain or fatigue, uh, and that will always come along with 
with some some weird stuff, you know, and it's only weird stuff if we try and whack it into this machine model, and it becomes less weird if we if we appreciate the human as a un, as a unified organism, more like a more like yeah. a garden. Yeah. Well, I've heard you say before, our pain is contextual, and it seems like pretty much most of the the research across the board is indicative of, of that. There's, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with most all of the studies in this realm, but the one would be, I mean, there's a ton, uh, one phantom limb pain. That's, you know, that's kind of confusing getting into that. Um, but then another one that you're likely familiar with is the, I think they had a, it was like a cold, they had a, 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 a cold rod. They would press against the subject's arms or wherever they pressed it. And they'd show them a blue light and a red light and it, their sensation experience of that, static temperature would adjust based off of the story that they have around these lights that they're seeing. Yeah. You know, and so that's where I'm, that's, you know, getting into like the whole biopsychosocial perspective, which again, we still need to mansplain what that means exactly. That's where it kind of comes in. It's like, Oh, interesting. Like perhaps the stress about your bills or your insecurity about your fill in the blank, you know, manlyhood or womanlyhood or safety within your tribe or community or workspace or any of that. Uh, perhaps it has a, a, a role, you know, more totally. role than maybe maybe we've given credit. Yeah, totally. So yeah, context is king uh, or queen, right? And it wasn't that long ago that I was part of a a panel that was charged with with weighting the importance of different factors to the pain we experience, and one of those things was nociception, so action potentials signals in neurons that have very high thresholds for firing in the in the tissues of the body so we call them nociceptors or danger detectors and that's the model of pain that's still dominant out there is that that is the key determinant of pain activation in danger detectors when i was asked the question to put weighting on things uh, i thought a lot about that and i actually gave that less weighting than context or meaning because i think there is there is compelling evidence that you can as you know you can you can have a limb that's chopped off and it can be pain free if the context means that the organism so me has decided it's not in my best interest to have arm pain right now if i'm trying to predict the future if i have arm pain i'll stop where i am uh, and attend to the the wound However, my brain might be clever enough to realize, well, if I do that, I'll die. So I'm going to create fear and resolve. Uh, and that's where we get these amazing superhuman experiences of, you know, of people chopping off their own hand and walking to, to safety. And then the, the hand pain really starts when they're safe. You know, so context, I think, is, is absolutely everything. So the, the study that you you mentioned i know that study well because i did that study right so oh that the, was you the, the red and blue rods yeah so that was our group and i uh, didn't realize uh, <laughs> there you go oh man it's so funny i can't believe so, i was like i was absolutely misrepresenting your own research i'm sure that's no, no, exactly you were pretty how it good went. actually oh okay, yeah, yeah okay. pretty good so the <laughs> the the main the main thing that came out of that was that uh when you you have exactly the same temperature rod as you said but when you see a red light that is timed together with the rod then the stimulus hurts more but it also feels hot and i, I want to make it really clear that it feels hot and it is more painful i'm not saying 
that people describe it as hotter and report it as as more painful although that's what we rely on but my conviction is that it it, it the pain is different in some cases it doesn't you have no pain when when you see a blue light because blue and red mean things and i think that's the thing they they mean things to us uh, and the way that the that we now try to understand a person challenged by pain sitting in front of us and help them understand enough to em- enable and empower them to to chart a recovery course through a really complex debilitating situation is that we we say okay this is a is a very complex biological system and potentially everything matters to this potentially everything in your world and life and history matters to this the challenge here is to work out what are the what are the things that are contributing to your pain and why and we conceptualize all of this complexity into a thing called a protectometer or you guys would say a protectometer yeah that's how you guys say it, just so you don't have a sort of english twang on it but a protectometer and the protectometer is is effectively the output of this complex system and then we work out okay what are the what are the cues that are telling your system you're in danger and you need protection and we just acronym that to a dim which stands for danger in me and what are the things that are telling you you're safe and we acronym that to safety in me and then it becomes a somewhat formulaic dims danger in me dims versus sim safety in safety in me so it's like, like some people call it, oh the dim sim approach but it's really about helping people to go through and we, we have these categories that we say okay let's think about what, what's happening in your general health is there anything about your general health that will be giving your system your protectometer the cue that you're in danger and you need to ramp up protection so immediately high sugar diet right so we know that a high sugar diet is pro-inflammatory that's probably going to be making your pain worse can can you do anything about that uh, it might be okay your your son's getting bullied at school right that's that's a dangerous situation right yeah okay that's probably going to be making your pain worse you can now look for relationships and 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 when we start to identify all these all these things that in and of themselves they don't make a big enough contribution necessarily to notice it you know like you you don't know my son's come home he's been bullied at school my pain's got worse it's unusual to notice that but if all of these things have a very little a very small contributing factor you get a lot of them together you hit resonance and you're in a world of pain so the strategy is to identify the things that intuitively logically will be interpreted by your system by this everywhereness the somatic way of knowing as a threat to you as a human and what we find is there's two stages at which we see pain and fatigue and inflammation and stiffness uh, start to drop one is when people understand that there is a non-body related contributor to their body pain so when they understand there's a non-body related contributor to their body pain and they understand that in a deep enough way then it stops contributing because the system's realized oh okay that's not about my back that's how i interpret the effects so we see this dip and then so so we we say to people you know remove any dims that you can but there are some dims that you can't remove 
you know, we have a we have a phrase we use with some patients. We'd say, "Ditch the dickheads in your life, right?" Because they're dims. People can be dims. Now, there's some dims you can't remove. You, know, you still have to pick up your kids from school. So, how do you work out a way of 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 putting some sims over the top of that? So people might realise, oh, you know, I loved playing the violin as a kid. I don't do it anymore. My favourite piece was this. So, okay, well, you have, still have to pick up the kids from school. That's a, that's a dim sitting in the car at the moment, for example. Why don't you play that piece of music for that, that trip? So we're offset. We're using a sim to offset a dim. And people become very proficient at this as they chart their path to recovery. So it's not a stagnant okay, you now you live your life having to listen to this music on the way to pick up the kids. It's not like that. It's, okay, what's the next step in you, the biopsychosocial being, towards retraining your system to be less protective? Anyway, oh, that was a as rant. You're, as you're, no, no, as you're, as you're talking, I'm actually noticing my body relax because I'm starting to observe how my environmental conditions inform my momentary state my physiological mental emotional contractile yeah. expression like yeah. i'm and, and what, what what's happening with that in my own experience is i'm going i'm, I'm starting to like blur outside of myself mm-hmm. so as opposed to being so wrapped up in this skin bag you know this identity this ego you know and the importance of of me you know my meanness mm. you know, which is a very lonely scary unsafe position to be consumed by and, and just in that process, and maybe I'm just crazy, but in that process, as, as you're talking, I'm starting to just notice how the, envi- how the environment informs my meanness. Mm. And I'm literally noticing this kind of like chunking down of my nervous system. Be like, oh, like a little, like, interesting. Like, I, 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 I'm, cool. I'm continuous with the room. I'm continuous with the texture of the rug. You know, and, and in doing that, it's like essentially becomes like a mindfulness practice, which starts create starts to create this cascade of down regulation, and then put, takes a person, an individual, out of a state of reaction and into maybe mm-hmm. more of a state of like you know you know all the other things. That's what I yeah. experience at least. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Uh, you are crazy. Uh, we all are crazy. <laughs> right. Well, sure. So yeah. I reassure <laughs> you there. We've all got our own little bit of, yeah. of crazy going on. I think one of the great yeah great demonstrations of of that sort of thing from a social perspective is when you go when you have a family reunion right as a grown grown person you go back and the family's all together again and you know, so you know i've got two brothers and we've all done you know had this life course and we go back into the room with our with our parents and we all just adopt the 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 personhood that we had as very young people growing up in the house together yeah and it's it's just so interesting to see it all just snap in so a great example of of and i'm sure i'm sure there'd be a bit of that if i just went back to my childhood home on my own i would revert there's some really cool research by a guy called mel slater uh who's from spain and i think he also works in Anyway, he at least works in Spain. Does some cool stuff where he induces the illusion that you your body has changed its dimensions and its appearance, and he, he does that through this. We do some of this research as well, but his is really, really innovative stuff where uh, he's demonstrated that if if the body that you have this illusory ownership over is a is a baby's body, very or a young person's body. He then looks at your attitudes towards babies and young people, and it changes your attitudes. And 
if you're in an old person's body or a different racial body, it you come out and you have different attitudes towards people of that age or people of that race or gender. Uh, one of one of our visiting artists did a similar thing where you got the illusion that you were turning into a tree. Right? <laughs> Sounds a bit bizarre, right? But you you. It's it's a cool illusion. I mean, you, you never cognitively think, oh, oh you know, shit, I'm turning into a tree, but you you have this sense of, wow, my my arm is 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 now looking like a tree, and I can feel it, and that's part of me, and this weird illusion. And when you come out of that, you you are more likely to be sympathetic to climate action and environmental hmm. things. So you know, talk well, about you body want, and mind, you, right? Wow. Yeah, I mean, if you, I, well, I I love to eventually probably sooner than later we'll get back into more like western anatomical mm-hmm. speak but i think it, it's interesting if you if you're really honest and you really do wind the clock back there absolutely objectively empirically speaking is no difference between you and a tree and so if you go back to single-celled single-celled <laughs> sure. organism dumb sure. you know where you're like... just a bunch of micros floating around like true like truly yeah, real yeah, talk yeah. Like yeah. you, it really is your cousin, uncle, nephew, grandma. You know, the idea of human is just a subset of this broader totality. Yeah. And the idea that like you really are different, that is a story. But if you really wind it back and are objective with it, you would come back to the place. It's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that tree really is, you know, kind of like a part of my family. And it's like, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> you know, this new age asshole. It's like, no, but like, really? But but isn't that, I mean, I I see that and I think, isn't that that extraordinary? Isn't that extraordinary that we can have this, this, ah, the the experience of being, being, the experience of being, that that it's an extraordinary experience, right? And the, the experience of agency and, I mean, the, I, I seriously get blown off my chair by, by how how different I feel to a tree, <laughs> right? Right. Even though, if you if as you say, you go down to the mic, you know, right under the microscope, same bits and bobs in there, just organised differently. Yeah. And I just think, wow. I'd be I'd be curious your perspective on uh, one. I'd love to touch on psychedelics and and the usage of psilocybin in therapeutic settings and ketamine and things of the sort, and people that are suffering from P- PTSD and. You, know, being you can able touch to on that. Start to create a, I know nothing yeah, about that. A, so when you do ask me well, about so that, I would just be, I just be, I just be, I just be curious. Your general set, maybe meditation, maybe mindfulness, t- maybe taking a walk, maybe just anything. You know, that's a little bit more of like a, I don't know, like a, a different perspective on less like hands-on manual therapy, myofascial release. Mm-hmm. You know, but kind of getting mm-hmm. like under under the hood of of the individual. Like, how do we do that? But Within that, I, I'm also curious your perspective on the mind over back pain. Dr. John, is it John Kirsch? Sometimes I mix up. No, John Kirsch is a shoulder guy, I think. John uh, Sarno. Sarno, Dr. John yeah. Sarno. Yeah. And so his concept of, of TMS, which stands for like tension myositis or something of the sort. Uh, and essentially his idea, again, butchering more concepts, probably not exactly this, but something along the lines of <laughs> by having some emotional tension, a, you know, a sensation of like you wanted to cry, but you didn't feel safe to do it in your environment. You don't 
doesn't feel safe, you feel repressed, any of that, he would draw the connection that most of the, the chronic aches and pains that people are experiencing are some form of, of actual, actual like chronic repression. And what happens in the body within that, from my under, limited understanding, is it creates essentially a contract, contraction and then that creates, uh, I think you probably like call it locally ischemic tissue, and it's like a reduction in oxygen and circulation, all things. And then somehow here's like big, you know, making big jump, but somehow that translates to nociceptors and sensory receptors and things of the sort, sending you the signal like ow in this area. But if you really kept winding it back, it's not purely f physical. There's actually like, like an emotional story behind that physical translation of contraction, which leads to dehydration and pain. What do you think about that? <laughs> it's quite a theory, isn't it? Quite a theory. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, mean, I probably misrepresented yeah, once, so, once again. But the, the, what do you think of Giornsano, minor back pain, and TMS? Do you have any thoughts on, on that? I have a lot of thoughts, and I have had a lot of thoughts. And there's a couple of ways that I, I try and make sense of that that theoretical framework and and one way is would it make sense if it worked like that and i can i can certainly see that you know i believe on the on on the basis of how i try to make sense of all the research and data and the stuff that i do but what the field does using the scientific method it makes sense to me that any threat to the organism will have consequences so an ongoing threat to the organism will have consequences. And uh, if I can use the sort of language that, that we might use with clients, we often think about our protective systems having two levels. One level we call the musketeers, and those musketeers, the, the, the most active and enduring musketeers are the inf inflammatory or the immune system musketeer, the, the inflammation musketeer. The endocrine musketeer, most, most famously adrenaline, noradrenaline, and uh, cortisol. And the, we call them the sprint and splint musketeer, so the motor system. So in the example that you gave, uh, we could say, okay, so a, a chronic engagement of the sprint and splint musketeer will lead to a lack of movement in a particular zone or extended contraction of particular uh, motor units, for example, or prevention of one joint in your back moving, for example. And that's not a biologically ideal situation because all of our tissues require movement and loading to be at their healthiest. Uh, and as soon as we have a constant output to prevent or reduce movement and loading, then there'll be a tissue consequence over time. And because of a thing that I call bioplasticity. Uh, and you know, I'm happy to follow that up later because it's my favorite concept at the moment, bioplasticity, variability, and the sweet zone for change. And, but if I go back to the, the idea of TMS and the idea that organisms can be, can be driven by this, this entire pain, for example, chronic pain, uh, can be the, the consequence of entirely of rep repressed emotion. That's where, for me, the totalitarian nature of that, uh, the, the generalization of that concept doesn't fit very well with my understanding of the complex human. Because I then find myself asking, okay, so if you, if, if you wanted to cry and couldn't cry your whole life growing up, 
why would the organism make back pain? Uh, it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me. You know, why would it make knee pain? Why would it make shoulder pain? And uh, what I what I find myself thinking is, okay, so let's say there is there is a uh, a consistent small level tweak in some tissue in your back, and you we understand what effect that has on local nociceptor profiles. We understand what a what a consistent low level C fiber or A delta fiber input, you know, these nociceptor input into the spinal cord. We understand what that does to the neural networks within the spinal cord. We understand how the immune system responds. Yeah, you know, there's a lot we understand that we've discovered using scientific method that would make me think, okay, so if there is a just a slight elevation in the stimulus response profile associated with that part of your body, let's say the back. Right, so that system's already more sensitive and overprotective. Then I can fit much more easily the idea of, and then there was uh, years of uh, psychological threat for you, uh, let's say. Then that may well also have an effect to compound that sensitivity. But for me, I would still say, okay, so this, your experience of back pain here is a complex one that might have both tissue-based contributions and complex psychological contributions. I'm certainly, I don't endorse the totalitarian nature of the theory to say all, all chronic pain is repressed emotion. I think that's about as justifiable using scientific method as all chronic pain is discogenic. Yeah, it's just the two ends of the spectrum. I'm going to take a moment and share one of the most valuable tools for my health and longevity that I have utilized, and that is cold plunging. I have had several different types of cold plunges in my life. I have made them out of chest freezers. I have had fancy expensive ones. I have had simpler trough versions, and I am so excited to have discovered the ice barrel because it is affordable, it is simple, it is sleek, it is space efficient. Uh, and you get $125 off by using the Align code if you're interested. Uh, cold plunging is one of those things that most high-level athletes, it's just a non-negotiable for them at this point. It's amazing for recovery, amazing for inflammation, amazing for improving sleep quality, uh, amazing for cognitive clarity if you have an important meeting or you just want to feel good in general. There is no better approach than cold plunging, in my opinion, for these benefits in an immediate fashion. If you're interested in getting yourself an ice barrel, you can get $125 off of your purchase by going to icebarrel.com slash align. That's I-C-E-B-A-R-R-E-L dot com slash align for $125 off of your purchase. I think you guys are going to dig this thing. It is beautiful. It is sexy. It is sitting on my patio right now. And uh, I'm really grateful that it exists. So jump over to icebarrel.com slash line for $125 off your purchase. I'm going to take a moment and share something that has been a game changer for my life and my training. That is taking essential amino acids from Keon. You probably know that the human body is mostly water. What you probably do not know is that everything else in your body is about 50% amino acids. 
These building blocks of life are essential for health and fitness. No matter how you like to move, whatever you do to stay fit, amino acids are essential. This is why Keon Aminos is my fundamental supplement for fitness. I drink them every day for energy, muscle, and recovery. Keon Aminos is backed by over 20 years of clinical research, has the highest quality ingredients, no fillers or junk. They've undergone rigorous testing and tastes amazing with all natural flavors. So if you want to naturally boost energy, build lean muscle, and enhance athletic recovery, you gotta get Keon Aminos. And you can now save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one-time purchases. Just go to getkeon.com slash align. That is G-E-T-K-I-O-N dot com slash align, A-L-I-G-N. That's 20% off on monthly deliveries and 10% off on one-time purchases. Go to getkeon.com slash align. I think oftentimes, and I don't even, I wonder if even Kirsch, that was even his intention. I, th- I know that oftentimes things become a brand and it becomes a movement and becomes yeah. a dogma and it becomes a sales pitch and it becomes, you know, we need to create polarity and we need to create a nemesis and we need to create a good guy. And it becomes like, it fits into this model sure. to create a popular movement. Sure. And so I feel like oftentimes you could probably say the same with a lot of religions. It's like Jesus probably wasn't like exactly on board that everything that's being preached in, in Catholicism today. <laughs> um, I, I, mean, I don't know not. Jesus or, or, or many Catholics for that matter. But, you know, I, I presume the source of that I would, you know, I would assume probably he might be even more open-minded to that concept as well. I, yeah, I think that's a that's a great point, Aaron. And and yeah, you you'd really, you, you, I think yeah, one has to be very respectful and uh, of one's own naivety. I mean, I, I I've never been in one of John Sarno's courses, and I've never never read his material yeah, and all that, you know the course material. So yeah. he, he should be here. Yeah, to, to discuss that. The other response that I said, oh, there were two things that I thought of. The other, the other was the, the lack of a, a system of interrogating some of these theories. And, and you could say the same criticism for some of the way I understand pain, that it is the, the only way that we could test the idea, unless if I, if I focus, say, on my own stuff, the only way that we could test the idea that the nociceptive tissue-based contribution is compounded by using Sarno's language, um, repressed emotions. The only way we can truly test that at the moment is by using various kinds of scientific method. Uh, we don't have any other way of testing that theory. So, And that's really hard to do. If we expanded it a bit, we could say the, the gold standard way of testing that is to do a randomised controlled trial of people who had the niggle without the repressed emotion versus people who didn't have the repressed emotion added, right? And, and it's, it's impossible, right? We, we cannot test that hypothesis. So as a scientist, so I'm, I'm primarily a scientist, uh, and as a scientist, we are bound to make, uh, to think about the hypotheses that we generate and to ensure as best we can that our hypotheses are testable. As soon as your hypothesis is not testable, then your theory is unbreakable. And yeah. our theory I, should be intentionally breakable, I reckon. Yeah. I, I, I would love for you to kind of map out how the concept of 
bioplasticity. I think most people are, at this point are familiar with neuroplasticity. Uh, what is the, the difference between them and how is the concept of bioplasticity supportive for uh, pain? You know, like, like yeah. real time. You know, like yeah, my cool. back hurt. Great. This conversation's awesome. Back still hurts, asshole. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, Not you, uh, asshole. Me, no, asshole. No, sure. um, yeah. <laughs> I, I said that, you know, it was my favorite concept at the moment. And uh, it relates right back to your first question about how my ideas of pain have changed. So bioplasticity, uh, neuroplasticity is a great place to start, right? So, so most healthcare professionals will understand neuroplasticity as the the ability of the brain and nervous system to change their function and structure and most people will understand that the way that that change occurs is through demands on the system or or broadly speaking learning i've been learning a lot about learning for the last sort of six or seven years and it's really changing the way we go about treating people um, and you know, learning is not just a, a neural event. You know? So slime, single cell slime that has no ne- neurons learns and it learns in sometimes in very similar ways to how, uh, you know, as far as solving a problem, similar ways to how a, an animal solves the problem, right? So learning, we, I, I believe we have to massively expand our our mind when it comes to what constitutes learning but back to your question neuroplasticity learning bioplasticity is is neuroplasticity across biological systems so uh, bioplasticity embraces neuroplasticity immunoplasticity musculoskeletal plasticity the and so it's, it's very broad but if we distill it down Plasticity, remember, means to mould or to change according to demand. Bioplasticity is is us changing, moulding according to demand. And bioplasticity is is so foundational that I would now say, and this is how we engage with consumers, I would say, you know, we used to say change is possible. What we now say is that change is inevitable. Change will occur. We, we can't stop change, but we can guide how we change. And that's a, that's a scientifically based, uh, with massive amount of, of supportive evidence, scientifically based source of hope for people who are challenged by relentless negative body feelings like pain and fatigue, but also anxiety depression change is inevitable but how we change is not i whenever i mention this i have to also put on the caveat uh, and that is but change can be very slow and the work required to induce the change we want can be can be arduous and uh, can be challenging and, and we need patience and persistence and courage and, and often we need a good coach to help us but the the property is inbuilt into every cell we have as well as the systems that that we have uh, and we talk about the pain system you know that's something that that consumers have demonstrated to us is a nice way of understanding how pain works the pain system because it is this complex you know all over your body everywhereness 
and the pain system is bioplastic. So the the development of of persistent pain in the absence of persistent injury, which let's face it is most persistent pains because bioplasticity causes healing. Most injuries heal. And the, the problem is when pain stops us finalizing the healing process and the remodeling journey of that, of that tissue. So for, for most people with persistent pain, where they have persisting pain without persisting injury, it's because of bioplasticity within the pain system that's made the pain system overprotective. So that's a, that's a challenge. But, and, and we spend, we really want people challenged by pain to understand that learning occurs all over their pain system. And, you know, there are, there'd be a dozen different sites within just the nervous and immune systems where the way it changes over time to do with pain is, is being unraveled, um, like being understood um, better. And that's a challenge because it's saying you now have this really big protective buffer for this part of your body. It's, so that makes this part of your body very safe. But the size of that protect, protective buffer means that you, you won't load the tissues in the way that the tissues need to be loaded to be fully healthy. So you're in a bind. So what do we do? Do we keep trying to train those tissues? That's not where the problem is. No, we have to retrain your protective buffer. We have to do everything we can to start to use bioplasticity to take your protective buffer back to more normal protective settings. And that will be a journey. You know, it's not, it's not a pill. It's not a given you know, exercise in the gym or a, it's not an injection. It's a, it's a journey, understanding your dims and sims and your protector meter and the principles of bioplasticity because they don't let you down. Bioplasticity is there. As long as you're alive, you're, you're bioplastic. So I started at the beginning, I said one of the most exciting things for me at the moment is bioplasticity and the sweet zone for change. And this Goldilocks principle, I mean, your, your audience uh, uh, will fully understand the Goldilocks principle of, of strength and endurance gain and all those sorts of things. And we can apply exactly the same principle to any change that we want to happen. So, you know, you talked about meditation and, and I, I've seen patients uh, with well, the, most, the most striking pain condition that I've seen people with is, is normally a neuritis of some description, so in, inflamed neurons, nerves. I've, my conclusion is, well, I reckon the thing that will change your life is becoming an expert meditator. And that'll take you about 20 years to learn how to do that. How do you do it? Bioplasticity and the, and the sweet zone for change or the Goldilocks principle give your system a big enough de demand so it's like a sweet zone, right? A big enough to demand to induce some sort of change because it will change, positive adaptation, but not so big a demand that you set off a protective response. And if you got to meditation, the protective response might be boredom, you know, and you have to train. Yep. And, and you apply exactly the same thing to maths, to reading, to, to learning how to attend carefully to someone or something. That I love it because it so far it hasn't broken, you know, like that the bioplasticity seems to exist in every sphere in which we might want to change. I wonder, anyway, is, I love is, it. You can hopefully it, you can tell that I love it. Is, is there, 
Hey, hey, I hope you guys are enjoying this conversation so far. We ran into a little bit of a pickle where uh, something happened with the files, the audio file, particularly on my end in this last 20 minutes and the software that we were using for it. So I just wanted to notify you of that. Uh, my last few questions here, there's a little bit of a hiccup with them. It's, it's like it doesn't sound excellent. So my deepest, most sincere apologies for that. I'm just going to present my question uh, to you guys here and kind of restate it because it was sounded pretty bad. Uh, essentially, the question for Sir Lorimer was, can you begin to wire in, for lack of better words, a pain or a nociceptive response to certain movement patterns uh, beyond the point that there was actually some insult to the tissue or the neurology or any of the whole gamut of reasons that pain could be induced? Uh, can that pain start, to, can, it, can it linger like a ghost of pain? For example, something that I'm sure you guys, many of you, many of y'all have heard before, is neurons that fire together, wire together. That's known as Hebb's rule or Hebbian theory, uh, from a fella in the late '40s. It's particularly a book referred to as the Organization of Behavior. Donald Hebb breaks down this idea that neurons that fire together wire together. What essentially that means is you increase the efficiency that synapses will fire through repetition of action. I'm probably butchering that to some degree, but another gross oversimplification would be thinking of it as like digging grooves or ruts within the way that you process information at a synaptic level. And my curiosity in relation to Lorimer is, can you start to dig a, 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 a rut in this case um, in relation to a pain response to something that at an objective musculoskeletal level no longer exists, but that nociceptive response is still lingering. And then if so, how do we, how do we start to uh, wipe away the slate, clear the ruts? An analogy that I like for this, and this will be the last thing that I say in this excessively verbose question uh, or monologue, I should say, uh, be you could think of it like a ski mountain. If you roll up to a ski mountain, you get a fresh powder day. It's just wow, it's just full of opportunity. Uh, and then with time, moguls begin to form on the mountain or ruts begin to form. And then what was an open slate of opportunity to have a good time snowboarding or skiing down the hill, suddenly your path uh, kind of becomes formed for you in a way. So my question essentially is one, is that a fair analogy for pain kind of lingering and sticking around for longer than would be ideal? And then if that is the case, how do we get a fresh pow day on our pain response and choose a more liberated path? I guess you could say. Um, that is it. That is all. I hope you guys enjoy the rest of this conversation. Once again, my deepest apologies for the audio being a little jacked up on my side, um, but Laura Merritt was just too damn good, and I didn't want to cut this out. I really wanted to include these responses, so I hope you guys really enjoy the rest of the conversation. If I change the question to say, you know, can, can we learn, can our system learn to associate particular behaviors or movements with pain such that the pain is produced in the absence of any tissue-related data. Yeah, yeah. tissue, tissue, um, tissues healed, but you've rehearsed or practiced or whatever. Yeah, wired that yeah. position to say ah, ah, ah. Yeah, get it. Um, 
uh, <laughs> I well, the short answer to that is there there are plenty of of types of learning, neural learning, that could produce that experience when there's no no nociceptive data being generated, right? So long term potentiation within neural pathways and networks um, does mean that uh, a non-noxious input from the body or a non-nociceptive piece of information along big fat A, beta neurons, for example, uh, can be enough to trigger nociceptive pathways within the spinal cord or that same thing can happen up higher in your brain and the neural networks in your brain is unfathomably complex. Um, I mean, the, the pathways involved in your dorsal root ganglion extraordinary just absolutely extraordinary in their complexity and that's probably the simplest part of the the connectors between a, a tissue event and, and an experience like pain um but the i i think the question was more pointing towards the possibility of more pavlovian classical conditioning type method yep. type processes and uh i think we would predict so, so we can divide those things into non-associative learning, so where where it's just repetition causes a sensitivity, and and causes a difference in stimulus response profiles, so that less and less input can still generate a given output. Uh, that that's non-associative. In associative learning, it's when this example that you've said, when two two events occur together, one is eventually able to trigger the response to the first. So that Pavlov's dogs is the most famous example where he was able to ring the bell, give them meat, ring the bell, give them meat, and then ring the bell and they'd salivate, which is a response to the meat. So that's classical conditioning. And uh, we, I, I was co-author with a guy called Johan Vlain in a hypothesis paper that got a fair bit of attention in about 2014. It's called the imprecision hypothesis of chronic pain. And we've now done about 25 or 30 experiments around that hypothesis that uh, are really difficult to do. It's really difficult to create a classical conditioning paradigm uh, to do with pain and have it approved by an ethics or an IRB. Because we can't really match the threat context of real life inside the lab on humans. So that's a, it's a real challenge that we face. But if I was to give the summary of all these experiments and people doing these experiments, uh, I'd just like to list them because that's what we do in science. We make sure people get credit for what they're doing. And Tori Madden's doing great work. Dan Harvey's doing great work in this. Kerwin Talbot did some great experiments on this. And my impression of all of that is that classical conditioning happens within the nociceptive and pain systems such that I would predict in the right circumstances that if if every time you bend over forward it triggers a nociceptive event in your back and you do that however many times you have to do it and if you do it in a highly stressful threatening situation we know that classical conditioning will ramp up in that situation if you do it in a way where you're not precisely encoding the specifics of the movement and the context, so it's more broad, then uh, any classical conditioning effect will generalise to other movements and other contexts. Uh, I would predict those things we will one day learn to be true, but at the moment we we don't have we don't have compelling data to support that. We don't have any data to refute it. 
and we've got some data to, to support that idea. So the very short answer to your question is, uh, if you keep doing this movement, it's nociceptive data, when the nociceptive data is finished, the classical conditioning might be enough to generate pain on that movement simply because of association. Every other time it hurt, then your brain just keeps making it hurt. And, and to understand this, we're in a zone at the moment where we're integrating classical conditioning paradigms with Bayesian learning paradigms. And you said at the beginning, feel free to you know, talk about the theoretical stuff. And so Bayesian predictive processing paradigms are, yeah, in a very dodgy, oversimplified way is that the output of a system is the consequence of the expected input and the actual input into the system. Uh, and if we put that into the, into the pain and nociceptive system, and there is a growing movement that, that humans are predictors, not reactors, you know, we're predictors of the future and we only change our predictions if we get good data that they were wrong. And if we put that into the pain system, then if the, the, then the model of, the hum, of the, your body that your brain holds in neural networks, so we call that an internal generative model, so an internal model of your body that generates outputs, if that internal model, model says your back, for example, is not fit for purpose, for whatever this purpose is that you're engaged with at the moment, if it's not fit for purpose, then the internal model will generate a prediction that you'll get danger data coming in. Now, if you don't get danger data in, then the system has to detect that error. And if it doesn't detect that error, then the brain just keeps generating pain. The model's not updated. Uh, so, so then we have this really interesting situation clinically where we say, okay, so in that situation, it doesn't matter what we do to the tissues of the back or the knee or the shoulder or whatever. It doesn't matter what we do. If the internal model of whether or not this body is fit for purpose is very strong, strongly held, and we understand that according to the principles that govern neural networks, if it's very strongly held, then it may be that it will always dampen out the, the incoming data saying everything's safe, but it, we never detect the error. So in that situation, if that, if that happened, then this person will always have back pain until we change the internal model that you're fit for purpose. And that's where a lot of the work that we've been doing for 20 years comes in, where we take a learning-based approach to providing someone challenged by pain a deep understanding of of how we know that their back is safe even though it feels like it's not. And that's a really difficult, uh, well, uh, it can be very simple. You know, it, can, it can be as simple as a patient I saw once who's clairvoyant told her, said, you know, well, told her all this stuff about her life and then said at the end of it, oh, and your back's actually safe and her back pain disappeared that day. 13 years of back pain and you know, she came back to see me a week later looking 10 years younger jumping around and I, I thought look at me I'm the king of the world I've healed her 13 years of back pain just by explaining stuff to her explaining uh, and uh, uh, so I thought I'd ask her just just because she would give me such amazing compliments so I said so Janet why do you think you're feeling so much better this week waiting for Janet to say oh Professor Mosley you're just amazing you've changed my life and, and she said, oh, well, after I saw you, I went to my clairvoyant. And she knew all this stuff about me, and she told me there's nothing wrong in your back, even though it feels like it. And you know I haven't had any back pain since. Wow. And, 
you know, so whatever it is that clicks, but the vast majority of situations, we have to be really respectful, clever, you know, strategic. I mean, I don't mean we have to be intellectual. We have to be strategic about how do we give this this human the resources to understand, enable and empower them to mould their own bioplasticity towards recovery. Yeah. I'm going to take a moment and share a quick bedside routine that I've been utilizing, which also relates to a question I have for you. And listen carefully to the end, as this is a special offer, which includes free gifts. If I ask you, what is the number one health problem people from all over the world are facing? What would you think that is? If you guessed sleep, you'd be absolutely right. Honestly, the majority of people are lacking energy throughout the day but a lack of energy is a symptom of a bigger problem that is very difficult to gain control over, and that problem is sleep. Something I've been utilizing that I've been absolutely loving for sleep is magnesium, specifically mag breakthrough. What I love about this stuff is it contains all seven essential forms of magnesium. I sometimes can be a little bit resistant to eating too much supplements, but magnesium is one of those ones that it is just not in our modern day soil. So I do highly recommend getting yourself some magnesium. I've been taking it every day for quite a long time. And also mag breakthrough is including free bottles of other goodness full line of digestive health products including their powerful digestive enzymes mass zymes their patented probiotic p3om and their hcl product to alleviate heartburn and acid reflux that means you're getting free products to try that will support your digestive system so you experience less bloating and gas throughout the day and you also are going to have an optimized night's sleep all you got to do is go to magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast you'll get 10 percent off of your magnesium and the first thousand customers will also be getting themselves a bottle of massozymes p3om and hcl it is a ridiculous deal it will absolutely improve your life and it's a hundred percent money back guarantee it's a no-brainer magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast I want to take a moment and share one of my absolute favorite protein-rich snacks. Those are the beef sticks from Paleo Valley. Why do I like Paleo Valley? Uh, typically, I don't promote meat at all. That's something you won't really hear me talk about. Uh, I am a very strong proponent of regenerative farming, and that is exactly how they do it at Paleo Valley. They're, the cows are 100% happy, 100% grass-fed. Um, they do a process where they cycle them from different plots of grass to keep them circulating, which actually is a net positive for carbon emissions each year. It sequesters carbon from the atmosphere. Um, they are also, they're not using any preservatives or any of the BS. So they have a natural fermentation process. So it's got a really just a, an amazing blend of probiotics in there as well. Healthy fats. It's such a rich snack to engage with. And that's why I like it. I eat them pretty much every day. And I think you guys will appreciate them as well. You can get yourself 15% off by going to paleovalley.com slash align. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com slash align. They also have a plethora of other delicious snacks. Uh, and I think you're going to really enjoy them. I think it's a, an amazing company. I stand behind them 100%. It's healthy. It is vitamin and mineral and healthy fat and protein rich. 
and it'll make a difference in you and your family's life. Paleovalley.com slash align for 15% off. A conversation with uh, Dr. Adrian Lowe the other, mm-hmm. I don't know, three weeks ago or so. Mm-hmm. There are various different different ways. Mm-hmm. I, is that right? You guys do it? Yeah. Um, and in talking to him, um, we talked about a, a, a couple different things. One, we got something that, we, that I thought was interesting. I, I started touching on like the whole pain gate and I wonder your your so when when I when I asked him about that he was like kind of like frazzled about it almost in a way because like ah oh, the pain game got this attention to this thing uh, is that do you have a gen, do you feel like that's kind of like an overdone overemphasized system historically speaking or is that some is that something I don't actually know exactly I'd be I'd be curious your 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 thoughts on on that in general. Yeah. So, oh, look, the the theory put forward by Melzack and Wall about the pain gate, it's called the gate control theory in 1965, uh, oh, transformed the field. I mean, you, I don't think we can underestimate the importance of that development. And and what they 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 effectively said is that, metaphorically speaking, you've got two types of information that comes in from the body. One is danger data. One is non-danger data, and they can compete to to get dominance in the message that goes up to the brain. Uh, and so, if we give a lot of non-danger data, like we rub rub it, you know, rub our our hand better, then that prevents the danger data from getting through the gate, metaphorically speaking. They also had, and this is what doesn't it doesn't get much attention, but they said this gate is under the control of incoming information, but also descending information from the brain. And that's where, in my view, that's where the magic was there. Uh, that and the, and the pathways that the number and and the um, diversity of of pathways that project to the dorsal horn of the spinal cord, where all this you know I call it a mini brain. It's not it's not a relay station, which is what the gate control theory suggested. It's a massive network of networks, but that is under a massive amount of descending control. Where I think the the pain gate and the gate control theory is problematic now is is in and this is might this might be what Adrian was lamenting is that it it is often presented as the the one thing you yeah. can control your pain gate and the I think what is a very significant problem with that now is that it implies that pain is coming in from the tissues of the body and we now know that's not the case and we also know that that understanding that to be the case is a significant barrier to recovery from a lot of, for a lot of people with persisting pain because as long as you understand your system as pain being generated in a, in a body tissue, then the only option you've got for reducing pain is to change the body tissue. But as I said before, we now know that the vast majority of persistent pain cases, that's not where the problem is. The problem is in this complex system. So, uh, I imagine the reason that Adrian lamented this and, and the reason that I I say we give respect to the gate control stuff, absolutely. And we, we, we pay our respects to Melzack and Wall for you know, 
contributions to the field that none of us will get close to. But it's time to move on. It's time to, to look above the foramen magnum uh, and say, okay, so what about the everywhereness? I mean, we talk about the brain because people can access that conceptually, but uh, what, are the, what are all of the systems that are trying to compute danger uh, and protection, not just the gate control system? Uh, but one, one question that I often engage with with this is, okay, so that's the case for, these, for, for people with chronic back pain who, you know, their life is crap because of that, they're not very well, all that. And, you know, we do a lot of work with that sort of people. But, but I do a lot of work with elite athletes, very, very high-level professional athletes, Olympians. and Actually, I don't do a lot of work. I do work with these guys. Uh, guys and girls, and we apply exactly the same understanding of the system and exactly the same principles and really not much different. Uh, but now some of my work there is not just about reducing pain but about Im improving performance because you, you can conceptualise pain as an output of the system in order to get you to, to behave in a certain way. So as long as your brain is producing pain when it's when your body's not needing it then you will be reducing performance so a new a, a new frontier for us clinical neuroscientists uh, and really becoming clinical immuno neuro bioscientists is how do we reduce pain and, and improve performance across the board yeah. i i wonder in in the beginning i i was kind of prematurely busting your balls about whether like you know what pain is, you know, cause I know that I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm wildly confused. You're I'm sure, you know, many millions percent further down the line of understanding, <laughs> but I, what I wonder, do you feel like you understand pain? Like, do, do you have a sense of, yeah, I, I, I know pain. That's a, is that a weird question? A, oh no, it's a great question. It's got so many bits to it. Um, I can really, if I if I talk about that as different ways of knowing, I I feel like I know my pain. You know, I feel mm -hmm. it, I experience it. Um, it's 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 generated by me, for me. You know, all that sort of stuff. But understanding pain in general, I feel like we've got a very long way to go. You know, if we're trying to understand all of the understandable things around pain. Oh, we're you know we're we're not even digging into the top of the iceberg. I imagine. I mean, I do feel like they're uh, pain. I mean, one one reason that I, uh, I I love working in the pain field is because I find humans just so fascinating. I just like mm. uh, I find me quite fascinating, and <laughs> let alone everyone else. You know, so and, and pain is a it's almost like um, a quintessential intense aspect of what it is to be a human uh, mm. and maybe your question you know how well do you understand pain is a little bit similar to how well do you understand all humans mm -hmm. and my answer to that is I'm pretty naive you know you know shooting in the dark a bit there so uh, <laughs> I feel I feel way more confident on on pain that I did than I did 20 years ago yeah it's probably accurate to say yeah i wonder if there's some cycle and understanding of something as complex as pain or, or like the human experience where it's like you kind of start off as an infant and you kind of know everything in a way in your lack of 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 like 
you in a sense know everything and then you kind of yeah, go right. through several decades of kind of being a jerk and you know you you think you, you go through something I don't know anything, and then like, maybe I know something, and then you get old, but you maybe again. <laughs> You're like back to this new place of like, and then you like just you die. You kind of know everything for a second. It all just kind of wraps up and goes. I think it might be like that. <laughs> there's an experiment there. I think there's an experiment at that. Um, you probably. Do you have a hard? I got to go right now. I already. Yeah, okay, I've cool. got seven um, minutes. I've got another Zoom in seven. So. All right. Amazing. Thank you so. Thank you so much. I, I so greatly appreciate uh, just you and your influence in um, you know the, the culture and humanity and yeah, and thanks, uh, man. and taking the time to to connect today. Several things. One, I really greatly appreciate your just your perspective and your lack of dogmatism and your ease. It's it's really like truly you are a living embodiment of the things that you speak about, which which I greatly appreciate. Uh, thanks, um, man. That's nice. And so I, I think that that's something I've heard from I don't know maybe Alan Watts or somebody like that. So you don't necessarily therapy as much as you need to be a person. And I think there's a lot of this two dimensional you know mansplaining or explaining of of, of what's of, like that is the solution I have. And mm. oftentimes people that are you know that. The, of the of the the sacred chalice of of knowledge, um, yeah. in an embodied way, they're not actually living the thing that they're kind of talking around about. Right, right. I, I feel like in in a way, your existence is therapeutic to the the, the world of of pain. Which is, are you happy um, for me to pass that on to my children? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They yeah, might they might like to hear that. Yeah, let them know. Let them know. <laughs> um, and so you talked about the process of re-education, and you know, in, in relation to bioplasticity and such. Do you have some top tips, bullet points, you know, like like um, highest leverage tools or approaches to helping a person uh, unlearn and relearn hmm. most effectively? Wow, I I don't feel particularly particularly qualified to to give out tips for such a complex and and diff, differing thing however i think when we're dealing with people challenged by pain whether they are that group you know that sort of really highly disabled um persisting pain multiple comorbidities or they're the elite athlete who wants to go from silver to gold and uh and you might be able to work with them to do that I think the uh, it is it is critical for us to respect the uh, respect respect bioplasticity and complexity. Uh, the system will change; it's inevitable that it will change, and we can guide how it changes. But it's a highly complex system, and it's it's one and the same as the person in front of you. And I think one thing that we can never let go of is is practicing our deep respect for the lived experience of being this person in front of in front of you and i think that's a that's a really helpful tip if i was to give it give a tip you know i really if i was to understand what i how i engage with with this complexity and this challenge is that i always feel like i want to sit on the park bench with them and understand what it's like to sit on the park bench rather than sort of talk at them and do stuff to them and instruct them and all that sort of stuff. Um, but also to, uh, I guess the other thing would be learn. As a clinician, learn as much as you can uh, uh, 
from, I, in my view, scientifically sound sources of, of information about how the human works. Um, because the more we understand how the human works, um, I think the, the more intuitive it will, be, it will become to help people negotiate pathways out of out of pain and fatigue and all that sort of stuff um love that yeah uh, can can i um maybe an easier way to answer that would be to give a plug for something yeah, yeah, that please. i'm doing later in the yeah, year please. with a bunch of very very clever people it's called um it's called less pain better performance and it's part of this thing called master sessions and but you know we've run a couple of these now one one last year and one one this year which is sort of 3 days online festival sort of stuff of of the sort of stuff that you're talking about you know how do we how do we promote learning how do we understand what what are the principles that drive neural networks uh, how can we use those principles to reduce pain improve performance um so that's 3 days of of hard hardcore getting into this sort of stuff so I don't know, maybe if you guys, you could you could pass on the word about that. That might be the easier way for me to answer that question. Give me three I'd days. To, I'd love to pr- <laughs> promote and participate or, you know, any, I'm happy to just promote, but I'd, I'd, you know, I'd be, if it's open to the public, I'd love to, to be involved in general. I'd Absolutely. Continue the conversation that way. But you got to run in, in, I think, like 105 seconds. The one thing that you said in there that I think is interesting is is you'd like to sit with the client or patient or, or person in pain on a park bench and like, and like, I think it popped up for, for me with that is uh, I think we can do that with ourselves. Like I think many of us are talking. Right. And so it's like yeah. there's it's like the invitation to sit at sit at a self. You know, mm. always talking at, at myself. Um Yeah, know yourself, right? Know yourself. Reflect. Yeah. Uh reflect you know, insight. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is there any Thanks other places that we should that we, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any other places to point people? Uh s- social media thing? books anything that's that's relevant yeah i'm not i'm not on social media in any mm-hmm. way shape or form uh but we have a community outreach charity here in australia called pain revolution um and there are some good good resources on there for anyone interested so the the website is painrevolution.org uh, and there'll be tabs resources there's a whole lot of books and fact sheets you can download and stuff like that but um you should buy my books because then i get i get royalties so that would yep, be great there you go yeah <laughs> that reduces <laughs> reduces the pain all right thank you thank you thank you i appreciate you so much man um that's no it. That's worries all. thank you opportunity Hope you guys devoured that conversation. I want to invite you over to the Align Podcast YouTube channel. We've got just under 20,000 subscribers over there now. You can catch the videos from the podcast, obviously, and then also a ton of great content on mobility, strength training, and tactics to restore that sweet, supple posture of yours. So jump over to Align Podcast on YouTube now. Give us a subscribe, and I would love to see you guys over there. Thank you again so much, Tie-Dye Chef, for leaving us a review. Or no, was it Tie-Dye Chef? No, who's who's dry read? I read Victoria Yoga. Whatever. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Tie-Dye Chef, as well. Thank you, anyone, for leaving us reviews. And um, that's it. That's all. Hope you have a good day.